This episode of Dim the Lights contains spoilers for the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and American Psycho. Listeners, be aware. Hello, hello. Uh, I wanted to record a message for you guys. Uh, your two guests couldn't be here today, but they recorded a message from last night, so we're going to have to play that. Things are going to, might or may not get a bit quirky this podcast, so good luck. Hello everybody, welcome to Dim the Lights with ENT. This episode is going to be a very special one, because it's been one we've kind of been waiting to do for a while. Yep. Uh, would you like to explain what we're talking about? Absolutely. Well, first of all, we're going to be talking about American Psycho at some point during this podcast, which is one of Ethan's favorite movies. And, of course, we are going to be talking about the long-awaited Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which is very exciting. <laughs> which one do we want to start with? Because I feel like we're going to psychoanalyze American Psycho a lot. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling most of the audience will probably be for the FNAF segment, so we might as well get it over with. All right, let's hop into the FNAF movies. So you want? do you want me to give a brief summary, or would you like to give a brief summary? Uh, I can do it. All right. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, an adaptation of the famous video game franchise, is about a man named Mike Schmidt who can't keep a job due to his uh, dark past and needs to take care of his sister. So after losing a job due to an accident, he has to become a security guard at an abandoned pizzeria called Freddy Fazbear's Pizza for a week. Yep, and little does he know, it's pretty wacky, pretty zany, and the robots like to walk around at night. They do get a bit quirky at night. It does. They do get a bit quirky quirky at night. So, a little background on the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. It's based on the video game series and franchise of the same name, which I'm sure most people knew already. And the development for the movie began in 2015 through Warner Brothers. And then after several production delays, the Warner Bros. picture was canceled for the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And then in 2017, Blumhouse Productions picked up the project. And through the course of several directors dropping out on the project, Emma Tamey was chosen to direct the film in 2020. Yeah. And the cast was confirmed that following December and filming began this year in February 2023. And with a budget of $20 million, the filming ended in April. And there is expected a book called The Art of Making Five Nights at Freddy's the Movie to come out in August 2024. And there's going to be a novelization of the film that's going to come out on the 26th of December this year. Some trivia. Uh, Scott Cawthon, the creator of the franchise, uh, in a Reddit post documented some certain uh, scripts that were intended, one of which was the animatronics were part of a military operation. Another one was Plushies Take Manhattan. His only reason was that Plushies took Manhattan for the reason they didn't use it. Fair. Were these like legit scripts for the FNAF movie or just like little funsy projects he had. Uh, they were legit scripts. Man, the potential this movie could have had. Yeah. Let's just jump right into this. Overall, what did you think of the FNAF movie? When I came out of the theater watching it, I kind of felt like two parts of myself were fighting over this movie. I kind of felt the same way, I think. Uh, my left brain was saying that this movie is kind of bad, and my right brain is saying, but this movie is fun. It has like a ton of like neat references. That's how I was. Like, No doubt this movie was definitely bad. But I had a really good time watching it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I felt I felt really bad that I got like ninety five percent of the references. I I got most of them. I haven't I've never been super invested in FNAF lore, but I know just enough of it to like catch what was going on, I guess. And yeah, pretty much. Um I'm just gonna go in and say it. 
they should have went all out and made this a rated R movie. Yes, but uh, but the FNAF series is kind of geared more into the child demographic of the fan base. Like, if you've seen, like, Security Breach, you would know why. I know, and that's the problem <laughs> with this movie is that, I don't know, the FNAF movie is, FNAF is too targeted towards kids, which I'm not sure if that was the original intention with the series, of course. Like, kids love the FNAF games, and I understand why. But I really just wish, and I thought about that when thinking about the R rating, but, like, I don't know. I think it would have been a way better movie, would have had way better reception if they just went all out and made it rated R, honestly. They could have had way better kills. Like, it would have given them a lot more freedom to do a lot more things. And, yeah, I was just kind of disappointed that they didn't do that because I felt like there was a lot of potential there to do that sort of thing. But they still kind of got some pretty gory kills, like that time uh, Freddy literally... Uh... Chopped, the girl in, chopped the girl in half. Yeah, that was such a great kill. <laughs> but I wish we had more of that in this movie. Like, just more gory kills and stuff like that. Even though I don't like gore, I think it would have benefited so much. Because, like, literally in the game, if you get caught, you get stuffed in a suit. And it shows that in the game over screen. And I wish we got more gory references like that. And I don't know. I just felt like there was lost potential for that there. Like, literally, this entire franchise is built on a child murderer stuffing kids in suits. Yeah. And kids love it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, ironic. Uh, have you ever watched any of the, any, like, FNAF VHS, like, videos? I don't think I've watched the VHS videos. Uh, they're on YouTube. Uh, a lot of them are great and definitely go more into the horror aspect of FNAF than I think a lot of like the modern games or like books and stuff. Are they like canon to the series? Uh, no, they're all fan made. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, Continue. Sorry. Uh, the one I would recommend the most is is the ones by Baddington. Very cool. Um, I will say, did you watch Game Theory? Question mark. Yes. I will say when I figured out Matt Pat was the waiter in the diner scene, I actually screamed in the theater, oh my gosh, guys, it's Matt Pat. And then he said, well, that's just the theory. And I was like, oh my gosh, he said the line. <laughs> I think that was my favorite part of the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I was not, I don't know why I did that. I was just like laughing too hard. <laughs> Yeah, I was in the theater and like I think most of the audience like like screamed when that happened. Yeah. I was having a good time at that part. Um Weirdly this movie was less of a horror movie and more of like a a family thriller. Yeah. I I think the familial like the familial like the whole family plot was fine, but I wish it wasn't there kinda. Because I don't know how else they would have done this movie, but I think what most fans were coming for was they wanted Five Nights at Freddy's. And what we got was Josh Hutchison talking to a little girl who had some mental health issues and stuff. And, and could talk to ghosts. And could talk to ghosts, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It felt like I'm not invested in the FNAF lore very much, but it felt like they were just like picking from a lot of different lores, like lore things in the timeline and just trying to shove it all into one movie. Uh, uh, can you explain that? Like, Vanessa, she doesn't show up until, like, much later. I think she was either the protagonist of the VR game, and, and she was also and she was also kind of a antagonist in... Security Breach. Yeah. But she didn't show... She's not until much later in the timeline, though. Yeah. 
That's why I was confused why she was there. Also, side note, she did not have to be in the movie. She did not add anything to the movie, yeah, if you yeah. ask me. She was on, I saw a review of this movie that says she was only there to be exposition. Yeah, and I don't know. It, she. I just didn't like her character, I think. It, like, I don't know. Like, it feels like they, uh, they, they didn't want to reference phone guy in this movie. And I don't know why they wouldn't want to do that i don't know they just made some questionable decisions that uh, make me think why like i think the only reason they didn't like have a cameo from scott is because of a controversy it was in yeah a few years ago mm-hmm. but i'm surprised i thought he was done making fnaf games or like he sold the series to somebody uh, i think he still has a part in it but he isn't like as hands-on as a, that it used to be. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure he still wrote the script for this movie, or at least part of it. Uh, originally, he was going to like write the entire script, but mm-hmm. uh, I think he realized that uh, being an indie game developer doesn't translate to being a screenwriter very well. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, even if we didn't get a cameo of like Scott Coffin face-to-face, I'm... A little thinking about now, I'm a little surprised they didn't put like his little avatar in there. You know what I'm saying? The pixel guy jumping. It looks like. Uh, maybe the dip was maybe like in the very background. Maybe I didn't catch it, but I'm not sure. But yeah, what were we talking about? We were talking about Vanessa and how she was only there for context to the situation. Yeah. Uh, can you give other examples of it borrowing stuff from the timeline? Balloon Boy was in the movie. I don't know where he fits into the timeline, but he was in the second game and not the first. And I thought this was like only a like Five Nights at Freddy's 1 sort of deal. In Five Nights at Freddy's 3, where they have the mini games after each night, where it's um purple guy dismantling. Yeah. yeah. I That probably comes way earlier in the timeline, but I think, I don't know when all that happened. Probably... I'm not sure when that happened, but I think that's definitely out of order in the timeline, especially at the end where um, Matthew Leonard, is that his name? Shaggy. Yeah, Yeah, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard is in the Springstrap suit and he dies in the back closet. But yeah, it just felt like they were... That's those are the ones I can think off the top of my head, but it just felt like they were trying to cherry pick a lot of stuff and put it into one movie. I think the biggest example of this is probably uh, Mike himself, who is played by Josh Hutcherson. So he is Mike Schmidt in this movie, who in the games is the alias of William Afton's son, Michael Afton, mm-hmm. who is responsible for uh, killing his, his little brother. But in this movie... Oh, yeah. William Afton was the person who killed his little brother, and but William Afton of like a drive-by like kidnapping, which was yeah the result of the puppet. Yeah. Which the puppet wasn't in this movie for some reason. Yeah, I'm surprised, and I'm surprised they didn't have something like the bite of '83 in the movie, because that's when Mike's brother dies. You know, and I felt like if they just would have stuck to that, I don't know. But then. This, I don't know. This, it's just this, complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. FNAF lore is in, is infamous for its lore. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this movie would have probably benefited if they went with the Michael Afton route. Yeah. Where Mike was the one who who killed his brother and still feels guilt about it. Yeah. But if they did, like, the full, like, one-to-one adaptation, they would have to make Abby baby. Yeah, probably. Because uh, Michael also has another sibling named Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Who gets killed by uh, another animatronic called Baby, who becomes basically the the other antagonist of the second half of the original games. Yeah, it's just, and I think that's just kind of a problem I have with the series as a whole. 
and making a movie out of it is that there's just so much lore and I'm not sure if anybody really has any idea where they're going with it sometimes, you know? And to make a movie about it and try to make it... Is this movie canon to the series? Uh, no, I think it's a separate... Yeah, to the, try to make a movie out of it. I guess that's why it feels so cherry-picked, because it's not canonical. But I don't know. That's just, like, my overall rant about the Five Nights at Freddy's series. The lore is super interesting, but I feel like there's too much of it. And, like... There's just a lot of stuff going on, I guess. I don't know. But I think that's also what makes it enjoyable. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Yeah, yeah. you really have to, like, religiously watch, like, MatPat videos to yeah. understand it. Yeah, And, gosh, I wonder how MatPat feels about the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Uh, yeah, since he was in the movie, I don't think he can just, like, come out and say that he thinks the movie is just mediocre. Yeah, but I wonder what he thinks behind closed doors. Uh... I wouldn't be surprised if he, like, finds it at least, like, just okay-ish. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just okay-ish. It's not good, but, like, I enjoyed watching it, I will say. There were some really funny parts in the movie. Like, um, I think it was after night two or three, maybe, when Mike's... Okay, Mike's aunt, what the heck was up with her? Yeah, yeah, for some reason, they had, like, this really unnecessary subplot where... Mike's aunt was trying to get custody of his little sister. And I think it was, like, so she could, like, get... Just get, like, the benefits or whatever. Like, like the check, you know? I'm not sure. Like, I kind of understand if they went with the Afton route from the series and could explain, like, that William was, like, super rich or something. Yeah. But but they didn't go that route. So I don't really understand why she wanted Abby. Uh-uh. Yeah. Like, unless, like, the Schmitz are, like, secretly, like, oil barons. I guess. I don't know. Shout out to the lawyer, though. Um, Mike's aunt's lawyer, who was really doing the most with his facial expressions in the dining scene. Yeah, yeah that, that dude tried to dip the second he learned there was going to be a plot to... To set. kill him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a lawyer. I can't hear this. Sit down. Like, he's he really lived up to the part. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this movie, they were only there to justify some kills. Back to what I was saying. When Mike's aunt hires Max and her brother and, like, their friends to go trash Freddy Fazbear's pizza. Uh, Max is Abby's uh, babysitter. Yeah, who's secretly with the aunt. Yeah. And so they go trash the place. And, you know, the animatronics are alive and they start killing them. And there's this one moment where Max's brother is in the office and he closes the door and he looks at the cameras and Chica and Bonnie are, like, posted up outside the fence. I was like, guys, stop. <laughs> you can't do that. But what surprised me was the animatronics. They did stuff, but I feel like the cupcake did the most work among all of them. Oh, yeah. Like, the cupcake, like, mauled a guy's face. Mauled a guy's face, was running through the vents, bit Mike's ankles at one point. Like, doing the most work than any of the other characters. Like, we never really saw a chi- I don't think we- Did we ever see a Chica kill? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. There was one Bonnie kill in the closet. There's one Freddy kill. I don't know if Foxy technically killed anybody because uh, he just put him in a chair. Yeah. I don't think Foxy technically killed anybody. Uh, so I guess uh, Foxy's a good guy. In this movie, I guess. Yeah. I was really expecting to see some Foxy running scenes, which we kind of did. But, like, it was more, like, sh- like fast walking, like, striding. It, it was probably because 
since they did everything practically mm -hmm. uh, and due to how uh, Fox's design is just mm -hmm. is it'd probably be super hard to make him look like he's actually running and not just puppet yeah I get that. So, a little fun facts about the puppets. They actually went to Jim Henson's Creek. So, they were originally going to be CGI. I'm glad they weren't CGI. Yes. Um, they were made by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. So, the guy who made the Muppets puppets. And they worked on all the animatronics for the movie. And all the puppets were operated by multiple people. Yeah. So, they got a whole team going there. I think they went with practical effects. That was the absolutely best way they could do this. Mm -hmm. But I think they should have redesigned the animatronics. How so? It's just that they just have, like, way too simple of, like, shapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, like, just look way too, like, stilted. And I get they're trying to be as accurate to the games as possible. But these designs were, like, never meant to be, like, they were in motion all the time. Because the games were basically just a bunch of JPEGs. Yeah. Yeah, they were a bunch of JPEGs. That's very true. Wow. That just changed my whole perspective about the Farm Nights at Freddy's games. But yeah, like, there was no... Yeah, they didn't move very much except from camera to camera. The only one that was moving was Foxy when you saw him run down the hall. So, yeah, I get what you mean there. How do you think they could have improved their design choices, maybe? I think they should have went down the route where they, like, modeled the animatronics off of real-life animatronics. Mm. Yeah. Like, you know the Rockefeller explosion? No, I don't. Let me Google it real fast. Rockefeller explosion. Okay. Yeah, I've seen these people before. They're pretty creepy. Yeah, yeah, like Billy Bob. That That's like one-to-one -one for like a real-life Freddy Fazbear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would have been more scared if that's what he looked like yeah i get why they did that because if they didn't look accurate to the game people would complain like a lot but yeah i think it could have been much scarier if they made him look more real and also it would also probably help because in the game they like their joints are like showing yeah and if they like went with like real life animatronics they could be able to hide the the actors better mm-hmm because, you know, their joints aren't exposed. And they could also get away with, like, Foxy running because of that. How do you think this movie would have been really different if it were people in the costumes instead of puppets? Well, the animatronics already are... Operated by people. Well, no, they, there are, they actually are people in costumes. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> like, actually in the movie? Yes. Like, do you mean that to the story or, like, there's actually people in the costumes? Yeah, there's actual people in the costumes. Oh, is it just part of, like, the puppeteer thing or do they walk, like, is it, like, an actual costume? Uh, it's a mix of both because I think their facial expressions are controlled by, uh, our control, our puppets, but mm -hmm. them actually moving around, like, that's people in costumes. Are you sure? Hold on. Like, like, yeah, there's, like, there's, like, pictures of, like, the people in the costumes. I swear. Well, yeah, it probably is a mix of both, I guess. I'm not sure. Either way, they're not people in them all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely not in the cupcake. Yeah. Oh, man. What a buzzkill. What if they put, like, a dog in the cupcake or something like that? <laughs> so, back to Vanessa, because I really want to talk about her. She really didn't add anything to the movie for me besides she was 
context to the situation. But I think they probably could have done that differently like, with the phone guy if they added the phone guy in there. Or, or if they didn't want to have a character just dedicated to exposition, they could have just had, like, Mike do research. Yeah, or, like, he just happened, like, he's, or he's just, like, here's what people say or something like that, you know? Or William Afton, who was going under an alter ego called Steve Racklin, who was Mike's... uh, Career counselor. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Could have, like, just, like, gave him an overview of, like, what happened. Yeah. Like, she could have... Yeah, Vanessa could have just been cut out of the movie. Because I feel like there were times, obviously, where she was trying to be mysterious. But it was more, like, an annoying mysterious than actually mysterious. Because, I don't know, Mike would ask her a question and she'd just blatantly ignore it. Or the part where the animatronics were, like, besties with Abby. Which, we'll get to that here in a moment. Because (laughs) I have some comments. But... The part where they're, like, in the back, and she's like, here's the tablecloths, and he's like, how do you know that? And then she just ignores him. (laughs) I'm like, what's the point? It's, I don't know. And then she dies. Oh, she almost dies at the end. Like, like I get it. They're kind of trying to foreshadow that she's Willie Mafton's daughter. Yeah, which... I don't know. I guess this isn't canon, but is she actually... She's just a follower of Glitchtrap, isn't uh, she? Glitchtrap possessed her when she was playing the... Mm. And so that's kind of how she developed the Vanny persona. Gotcha. That makes sense. And Glitchtrap is kind of like a spinoff, quote-unquote, of William Afton, isn't uh, it's, he? It's sort of like... It's either it's either implied to be William Afton's soul turned into, like, code. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Or just, like, his conscience, like coded into a program yeah see this is what i mean there's so much stuff happening in the yeah, FNAF yeah, that, movie that's kind of a thing i kind of dislike about modern fnaf is they just they just went too far on the sci-fi angle yeah i mean i've never seen people i've never really played a fnaf movie but i watched people play them and i never watched like the vr ones but i did like watch security breach and i like the sort of more like quote-unquote modern FNAF settings, I guess. But, yeah. I just... The lore gets weirder and weirder the more games they make. Like, try to explain, like, ghosts in this universe by saying, like, Remnant. Like, why why do you need to explain ghosts and why they possess things? I don't know. FNAF, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. Vanessa really didn't do anything for me. She could have not been there. And I thought it was honestly corny that she was like... Because he's my father. I was like, yawn. Of course he's your dad. Like, goodness. And was she, like, conspiring with her dad the whole time? Because he was like, I told you to lure people away and keep quiet. But, like, she's a cop. <laughs> like, like, may- like, maybe Braglin found out that Mike was a Schmidt. I think he, like, purposely set him up to have that job so he could, like, kill him off. Yeah. Because I think that's what was implied. But maybe, because I kind of got vibes they were trying to, like, set up, like, a romance with Mike and Vanessa. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have liked that either. <laughs> no, no. And I, and I felt like that was probably going to be the explanation, but mm-hmm. they just not went through it and decided to put her in a coma. Yeah, which they're totally trying to set up to make more movies. Ugh. I don't know how I feel about that just yet. I'll definitely go watch them, but I don't know how I feel about that whole yeah. shebang. And, and they're like farther into the timeline, it looks. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know anything about FNAF timeline, you know all the games are like in out of order. Yeah. Like, 2 is literally a prequel. To one, yeah. Heck, four is a prequel to one. Like it comes before. No, no, that that's a prequel to two. 
that's a prequel to two. Still came before one, though. Yeah. Yeah, the timeline is just all out of whack, which kind of goes back to why people like FNAF so much in the lore, but also a reason why I don't like FNAF in the lore. But it's out of my hands. So. Yeah, and, and don't and don't get people started on where Sister Location is in the lore. Yeah, I was really excited for Sister Location when it came out because I was like, it looks different from the other FNAF movies, but it was like kind of the same game in some sense. It, but it, Except that instead of having central core gameplay loop, it just is a bunch of mini games. Yeah, I don't know. Sister Location's an interesting one. And then we get FNAF Pizza Simulator, which, yeah. don't get me started, I love a good um, tycoon game. But yeah, yeah, they just... After Sister Location, like Sister Location on, things just started getting weirder for the FNAF series. Don't get me started on FNAF World. That one was wacky. But yeah, so what were we talking about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're still talking about like... Oh, future movies. That's what we yeah. were talking about. But yeah, I mean, I'll still go watch them. I don't know what to expect. Wait, we, we need to stop talking about Vanessa so we don't go on tangents. Yeah, she's gotten enough attention anyways the next thing i want to talk about why the friendship with the robots this this movie just became uh just became an entirely different movie for 10 minutes yeah what was up with that i get it that they were trying to set up the whole thing with abby but did they really have to be best like did they really have to go through and be like okay i guess we're cool for <laughs> that guess what robot slumber party that's actually what happened. Like, oh my gosh. I don't understand why they did that. I get it. Okay, I understand. But, like, why? They only had this here because for the children. Literally for the kids. Like, Yes, and I know it's because of how much people like Glamrock Freddy and Security Breach. Dude, I... Then why didn't they just... I don't know. I have no words for why they had to be besties. Like, oh my gosh. They should have just made this movie about Mike. Like, Mike should have just been there, just figuring stuff out. Yeah, this this movie should have just been Mike going through his stuff and, like, doing his, like, weird dream theory stuff. And, yeah. And, like, have, like, everything else just be, like, secondary to it. Yeah. Like, make it make it a survival game, horror game, like Five Nights at Freddy's, you know? And, like, maybe during the nights he does, like, goes out into the pizzeria to, like, do some research. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they said he had to clean and stuff, like, keep the place clean. Maybe he feels like he has to go clean and, like, he learns some creepy stuff happen along the way. Yeah. Something like that. Just the robots are never friends with the protagonist until security breach. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So no bet, no robot besties until then. Yes. And I'm kind of glad they went back on that towards the end of the movie where mm -hmm. where the robots are trying to kill Abby to like get her to possess one of them. Yeah, which I'm glad they did that because if they were just friends for the rest of the movie, I would have clocked out. I would have been like, what's the deal? That, that would have been real, really lame. Really, really lame. But yeah. But how do you think about the ending where William Afton shows up in the Springtrap suit? He's not Springtrap yet. And it alludes to um, the sort of cutscene in Five Nights at Freddy's 3 where he, like, quote-unquote dies and becomes Springtrap. How do you feel about the whole pictures thing 
on the walls that make the animatronics turn on William Apton. I kind of didn't like that because it just kind of felt like they wanted William there, but they didn't just want all the animatronics jumping on him immediately. Like, maybe, like, electrocuting all of them first and, like, shutting them down. Yeah. And then having William come in would have been better. I agree with that because that follows the cutscene more where he dismantles, like, dismantles all of them and then all the souls are three and they, like corner him into the spring trap suit at yeah. the end which yeah. Uh, yeah oh go ahead sorry yeah i also think this movie should have definitely had more psychological elements because because mm-hmm. that's the thing people don't really acknowledge about the early fnaf games because mm-hmm. if you've seen i know you've seen like all of like the split second like hallucinations from the first game or like yeah or like the hidden like jump scares and stuff yeah like and when the posters change on the walls and the it's me shows up and yeah. stuff yeah i think they should have definitely incorporated more of that yeah or, or maybe incorporate more of that stuff in the dream sequences yeah that would have been cool yeah there's just a lot of potential that was not used in the movie and yeah they could improve so i don't know i don't think i don't know if i have any more critiques other than that just uh. Uh, I think one critique of this movie is that the cinematography is pretty substandard. Yeah. And also the colors in the movie didn't really pop that much. Yeah. Like, like I get they're trying to, like, set up a creepy tone. But, yeah. But the colors just weren't there enough. Mm-hmm. And even in the pizzeria, everything just looked way too washed out. Yeah. Like, maybe if they, like, saturated some stuff more but still try to like keep a little uncanny thing to it and it would have worked better mm-hmm. yeah i agree i was disappointed about the colors because even though in the first fnaf game things aren't super colorful like the second fnaf game with the toy animatronics and stuff the colors are really popping and especially like sister location with all the pastels and everything yeah they there could have been more opportunities for color i think Especially yeah. when they turned the lights on in the pizzeria, because I feel like it didn't pop very much then either. Yeah, yeah, it just it just kind of looked like a bunch of uh, washed out browns and yellows. Yeah. Let's talk about some actually good stuff about this movie and not just rants. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I actually did like Mike's character in this movie, despite his some of the lost potential. I did too. I thought Josh Hutcherson did a good job, honestly. Like. He did a good job portraying desperation, especially trying to figure out what happened to his brother and... And trying to connect with Abby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He... Yeah. I like this character a lot, I will say. I think one of my favorite parts of the movie was the balloon boy pop-ups every once in a while, just because they scared the crap out of me. So, shout out balloon boy for that, even though I don't know how he fits into this movie very well. He was... I still like those. Uh, the, I, I, those were, like, just purely for, like comedy moments yeah because because balloon boy is just uh just annoying (laughs) like like it's just a meme hello (laughs) and also that i think i really liked the dream theory stuff where like mike Mm -hmm. like tries to go back to his like to the moment where his brother died Mm -hmm. and try to like find any details about the killer Mm -hmm. i honestly think that concept alone would have warranted entire movie by itself oh yeah I agree. I, even though it was a little random for me because I wasn't sure how it was going to fit in with the movie, but I think they, I think they pulled that part off pretty well. Especially when the um the kids that are pre- 
possessing the animatronic show up and like he's trying to ask them questions and they're being all weird and yeah and, and also the the book he gets that from called dream theory is a reference to uh, a theory that was around during fnaf 4 it's just a theory yeah there's a lot of theories in fnaf i will say yeah off topic but which is your favorite fnaf game the first one it's a classic you can't really can't really ask for much from the first one honestly it's just a good fun little time i think the first one was probably the the peak of the atmosphere in the series Mm -hmm. because a lot of the other games just just didn't replicate what the first game did with like all of like its iconic moments yeah and how it like really build and help its atmosphere a lot yeah and like the first game i remember 10 years ago when people started playing five nights fridays on youtube like let's plays everybody was like this is the scariest game ever and like people were freaking out about it so just like that hype and popularity of the first one i think is just something you couldn't get with all the other ones yeah there's like like i've even like watched like let's plays of like the fan games Mm -hmm. and i've only ever found like one fan game that was able to like replicate the tone and atmosphere of the first game what fan game it's this kind of obscure one called mary's arcade mary's arcade i don't think i've heard that one yeah there's been a lot of five nights at freddy's spinoffs i will say yeah there's so much that they literally made an entire initiative yep Uh, that one is kind of a dumpster fire now Mm -hmm. oh what was that one five nights at freddy's spinoff where they were super withered and they like ran through the halls at you. The joy of creation. The joy of creation. That one, good lord, that scared the crap out of me. Just because I think the running, the whole running thing, is terrifying. Yeah, that that fan game. Out of any one, it really captured that these things are hulking animatronics. Yeah, and like, I don't know if it was any good, but people were really. Uh, yeah, I I think. I think it is considered one of the best fan games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know the story behind it that well, but like. Uh, that. The story of that game is literally that, the animatronics really, hunt down Scott Cawthon's family. Oh, is that literally it? Scott Cawthon's family like brings in a stranger. Like during the middle of a storm, and then the animatronics somehow come into reality and try to hunt down his family. Hmm. I mean, yeah. And, and the title comes from in the first in the fifth phone call of the first game, which is a reverse and distorted excerpt from a book about about Hindu farming practices. And the end of it it says something about called like joy of creation. Interesting. So wait. I, I I know way too many FNAF trivia. So the phone call in the fifth night on the first game is a reverse of an excerpt of Hindu farming and, practices. And philosophy. And philosophy. Why'd they choose it? Why did Scott Cho- Coffin choose that? Uh, I think it was like a stock sound that hmm. he found was pretty scary. Fair enough. He thought it was scary just listening to it on its own. Yeah. And so he fought to reverse it and, like... <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the stuff in the initial games is, like, 
stock sounds and music. Mm -hmm. Like the music for the second trailer, which is now pretty iconic. It's literally a royalty-free song. Wow. That's really indie to the max right there. Yeah. Yeah. The child acting in this movie, I get their children, but it was, they were not, they were not that good. Yeah. I don't know how they could fix that. Get better child actors. I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, Like, I'm not expecting them to, like... Like, there's no way they could, like, predict that one of these kids are going to be in, like, the next Leonardo DiCaprio. But... Yeah. I mean, everybody's got to get their start somewhere, I guess. Yeah. For these kids, it was the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, anything else? I, I think that's kind of it. All right. Well, what would you rate the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and why? I wouldn't recommend this movie if you're not a fan of FNAF. Mm-hmm. Like, at all. If you don't know anything about... FNAF, you won't like this movie. Do not watch it. Yeah. But if you are a fan of FNAF or just a fan of weird, schlocky horror movies, then I would recommend it. Yeah. I think some fans really liked the FNAF movie because my my sister, she's always been super invested in FNAF. And I was asking her what she thought about it. And she said she loved it. Like, she watched it twice. And I was like, I guess it just depends on the person who's watching so, yeah. good yeah. for the FNAF fans that do like this movie, I will say. Uh, and some of them are kind of starting, like, this trend that kind of happened with the Mario movie earlier this year, where they're just saying, where they're saying anyone who likes it are, like, haters or, like, taking it too seriously, which I just kind of really hate that trend that some fan bases have. Yeah. Um, have you seen, like, the TikToks of major FNAF fans, like, screaming in the theater after it's over, like, freaking out. Uh, yeah. That's just bonkers, like... I know I screamed in the movie theater when I saw Matt Pat on screen, like, but, like... <laughs> like, like, like... Like, I was smiling through a lot of the movie, but... Mm-hmm. But I'm also trying to be objective that this movie is not that good. Yeah. It's, it's a fun watch. It's not a good... Like, it's not a good movie, but it's fun. Like, I think if you... Bring a couple friends with you and watch it. And you don't take it super seriously, you know? Like, you just go into it expecting a good time. I think you will have a good time. But if you're trying to take this movie super, super seriously, I don't know if you'll like it that much. Like, I have this movie, like, somewhere near the bottom of my list of movies of this year. But I had, like, way more fun watching it than, like, A Haunting in Venice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or or Jesus Revolution. Yeah. It's, it's a fun movie, I will say. Which I think, like... Movies have to be fun if you watch them. Like, if it was a bad movie and not a fun movie to watch, then it would be way, way lower. Like, it's already really low on Letterboxd at, like, a 2.6 or something like that. But I still think it was a good time, honestly. Yeah, because th- there's no way it would have, like, drawn out this section as long if it was, like, a haunting in Venice. Yeah, the haunting in Venice, it was decent, but also boring, I guess. Now that that episode has been a couple weeks ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. But what would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, my FNAF self would probably rate it like a 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. But my but my film brain self would probably rate it more like around a 3 or a 4. Yeah. I think I gave it a 6 on my letterbox, but I think I'm going to have to cap it out at a 5.5. It's just, it's okay. Not the greatest movie. Yeah. But I had fun, like I said. So, yeah, that was the FNAF movie that we anticipated so much. Anyways, 
time to get into a very good movie that's been out for about 23 years now, American Psycho. So, Ethan, this is one of your favorite movies. Why don't you kick us off and explain the plot? Uh, this movie is about a, about a Wall Street yuppie named Patrick Bateman. And we get a look. Before in- you go any further, kind of explain what a yuppie is, because I didn't know what it was before this movie. Basically, jockey your rich kids on Wall Street. Yeah, like young rich people. Yeah. Like 20s, we're talking about. Yeah, it's basically in the life of this Wall Street yuppie named Patrick Bateman, who is also a psychopathic serial killer. He lives a double life as a serial serial killer. No, wait. (laughs) He's literally like a mohawk, like the business in the front party in the back. Like, he's just a yuppie during the day, psycho serial killer at night. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a New York City investment banking executive. Yep. On Wall Street. Who, uh, who barely does any... Uh, who never does any real work in the movie. <laughs> he, uh, he, he just kind of buds in quotation marks. Yeah. Which, what else would you expect from rich people on Wall Street? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, a little background I figured out about American Cycle is a... It came out in 2000. It's a satirical psychological horror film based on the 1991 novel of the same name by Brett Easton Ellis, who originally thought his book would be unfilmable due to its extreme graphic nature. So the movie's extremely graphic, but I guess the book is even more graphic. Yes. So take that as you may. Um, so originally Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be Patrick Bateman. And then there was some creative differences, and then Christian Bale was recasted as Patrick Bateman, which I'm kind of glad that happened, because I don't know how... I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio was as estranged during that time to pull off Patrick Bateman, I would say. And then in 2005, American Psycho received a large cult following, and in 2020, it resurfaced through popular meme culture, because Patrick Bateman was depicted as the quote-unquote alpha male. <laughs> and, yeah, if you haven't seen an American Psycho reference in any recent memes, then you're missing out because they're pretty funny. Yeah. And final little fun fact, Bateman killed 23 people in this movie. He killed roughly over 50 in the book. So, yeah. Anyways, hopping right into it. Ethan, this is one of your favorite films. Why is this one of your favorite films? Its social commentary is on point. Mm -hmm. Christian Bale's acting is amazing. Mm -hmm. It has deceptively good uh, visuals. It's surprisingly funny, Mm -hmm. horrifying, and it's just like the whole package. Yeah, I agree with that. It's pretty cool. So... I guess getting into it, what do you think American Psycho, you said it was a social commentary. What do you think it's trying to depict with this movie? Uh, I think it's meant to be uh, a satire on economic and Wall Street culture of the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, you hit on this a little earlier, but what do you like about this movie? Well, let's start with with the psycho himself, Patrick Bates. He's this interesting character who is both, who is both extremely funny mm-hmm. and terrifying. This man objectifies himself as much as he objectifies the people around him. Yeah, he does. I will say um, I do like Patrick Bateman as a character a lot. He, he's a psycho. But I will say, I so I first watched this movie about four years ago, and I kind of didn't like it because I wasn't expecting, like, how graphic it would be, I guess. And then re-watching it, I caught a lot of things that I don't remember about the movie the first time I watched it, such as when Patrick Bateman, every once in a while, he just said something very unhinged 
like on his psych- psychopathic behavior like in the intro when um him and his buddies are going to the club and the bartender who's a woman says he has to pay and catch he says like you're an effing ugly b-word i want to kill you and play around with your blood and like she doesn't react at all like nobody says anything and then he just smiles and leaves you know yeah, he does that everywhere in the movie and also another example of that is when He's getting Paul Allen drunk. Yeah. And he just casually brings up that he likes killing girls and eating their brains. Yeah, he's like, oh, I like to kill girls and I like to dissect girls and play with their <laughs> insides or something like that. Like, yeah, he just, he's just, he doesn't, I mean, he's a psychopath. He doesn't care. He just says whatever's on his mind, you know? And I think that's one part I really liked about the movie. Um,. Off topic, but he has a great skincare routine, better than mine. Um, yes. Yeah. What do you think his image? I guess. What do you think his image has to do with his character? He says himself he's trying to fit in. Because mm-hmm. as he says himself in the beginning, there is no real Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of just copying the aesthetics that he sees mm-hmm. to try to like just be part of the culture he's in. Yeah. Which he, the reason why he's in. His p- the position he's in at his job is because his dad owns the company, yeah. right? Yeah, that's interesting. That would make an interesting, like, spinoff movie, The Rise of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. What yeah. do you think about that? <laughs> this, no. No? <laughs> like, you just wanted to be arbitrary, like... This, this, this is one of those movies that doesn't need a sequel. Fair enough. It got a sequel. It wasn't very good. But Patrick Bateman wasn't even in it. I know. Exactly. But yeah. Um, so well what do you like about the movie even? What what makes this movie one of your favorites? First Christian Bill's performance as Patrick Bateman is iconic. Yeah, of course. There there's like no other person who could play this role. Mm-hmm. The only person I think can even come close to it is Tom Cruise. Yeah. I could see that. <laughs> because Christian Bales, like, said that one of his inspirations for his portrayal of Patrick Bateman was an interview with Tom Cruise he saw. I wonder, did he specify what interview it was? I, I think it was on David Letterman, I think. David Letterman. I was thinking of the, I think it was Oprah, where he starts jumping on the couch or whatever. Like, he just goes, I don't know. I don't know if you know about that one, but he acts crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know that one. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess... I guess, was Tom Cruise going crazy? I'm guessing if Christian Bale was inspired by him, Tom Cruise was kind of going off the deep end during this time, so. But but I think it was, like, how he holds himself at the non-crazy moments. Mm, yeah. Like, kind of like those, like, chill, silent parts. Mm, yeah. Or, like, how he looks at things. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing he nails is, like, like, his, like, facial expressions of, like, of just trying to imitate the people around him. Yeah. Because... As he says, he doesn't truly have a personality. Mm-hmm. He just imitates people around him and just kind of has these violent urges. Mm-hmm. Or like how he sees or he thinks he has these violent urges, which which I will get into later yeah. about this movie, which is mm-hmm. a thing I love about it. But he also just has these really like out-of-pocket moments that make this movie extremely funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when he goes to like one of his many dinners in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like his girlfriend, he says he's in tears because he doesn't know if they'll get like a, like a table. But his face is like yeah. deadpanned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Do you mean when he's trying to get into Dorcia? Oh yeah, yeah. Dorcia is kind of like his white whale in this movie, mm-hmm. 
where he's tries as hard as possible to get into it, but he just can't. Yeah, and I think you you had you wrote a discussion question down about this, and I think that kind of connects to his character how he's always trying to get ahead, like he's always trying to fit in because. Paul Allen, one of his quote-unquote colleagues later in the movie, he's kind of, well, Patrick Bateman's kind of like a big shot, you know, he's trying to fit in. Paul Allen kind of is like, I don't know if you would call him more up-and-coming, but he's kind of gaining on Patrick, I would say. Yeah. And he, Paul Allen, gets a reservation to Dorcia, and um, Patrick Bateman can't. And eventually, you know, Christian Bell kills Paul Allen, who's Jared Leto, right? Yes. Yeah. He and, could... and, and that's probably the biggest plus of this movie. We get to see uh, Jared Leto killed on screen. Yeah. Morbius. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it is his white whale, which I like that. I like that he couldn't get everything he wanted. Like, conflict, conflict, conflict. It's what makes and the movie good. It also plays into yes. his part of trying to fit in. Because... Mm-hmm. Everyone in this movie, except for Lewis, Lewis, <laughs> like confuses him for another person. Yeah. And when they talk, but confuse him for another person, they always say Patrick Bateman is like this spineless loser. Yeah. What do you have to say about that commentary? I think it says that it says more about Patrick Bateman because despite all of his trying to become one of these people. He truly will never be able to fit in mm-hmm. just due to how he handles himself into like his mental issues. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't think about that. Like, yeah, because I thought when you asked the question, I was like, surely not everybody mistakes him for somebody else in the movie. But I don't know. They didn't address him by his actual name very many times, I guess. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's, yeah, I like that commentary. He'll never truly fit in. Which, do you think that contributes to his psychological issues, probably? Uh, yeah, because, like, the only people who, like, see him as Patrick Bateman is, like, his secretary, Jean. Mm-hmm. And, like, Lewis. Lewis. What about um Evelyn, his quote-unquote fiancé? I think he was only with her because because he has to be with her to fit in. Yeah. Like, he literally admits that he's with an affair with another woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... And, like, I think Jean, I think the only reason he didn't kill her is because she's, like, the only person in this movie, like, treats him like a real not person. Not just another, not. like, yuppie personality, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I like Jean in this movie. She was she was almost like the voice of reason, even though I don't know if she was really saying any reasonable things. But, yeah, she was just... She was, like... I don't know. She was like the piece in Patrick Bateman's life, I guess. Even though he didn't treat her very well most of the time. Like, the intro where he's like, don't wear that outfit again. I was like, okay, misogynist. But Yeah, yeah this uh, this movie really captures how, how literally every person in this movie is a piece of shit. Yeah, actually. Um, and it's really funny because in the intro when they're at the kind of girlier restaurant, um, one of the guys makes like an anti- like a Jewish joke, and Patrick Bateman's like, we shouldn't be making anti-Semitic remarks, and goes on this rant about how we need to make the world better, and then literally the next scene, he's like, Gene, don't wear that outfit. Wear, like, a tight skirt and high heels. I like high heels. And I was like, ah. (laughs) And that's another part of his personality. Like, he completely changes opinions on things 
depending on who he talks to. Because, mm-hmm. like, his, like, favorite band is Huey Lewis. Yeah. But when he, founds out, when he finds out the investigator likes them, he, like, completely, like, says he doesn't like them. Yeah. His music taste, I, I like that he likes music and he's always talking about it when people are at his apartment. And, yeah, I guess that's one thing I was a little confused about, like, about how he... How it represents him. What? How do you think it rep- represents him? I think it's because he sees that the people around him constantly like music, mm-hmm. and he, like reads a lot of a lot of stuff about music. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't truly understand it. So the only way he can truly get it is he has to parrot a lot of these things mm-hmm. and can't really form his own opinions on anything. Yeah, because that's why he likes Genesis, mm-hmm. like Genesis later stuff, because. Genesis early stuff, they were like a pioneer of prog rock. Yeah. But in like the 80s, they like switched to more pop rock stuff. Mm-hmm. That's kind of meant to like show his more superficial aspects. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. What else do you like about American Psycho? Well, the scenes where he, where the Psycho really does come in. Yeah. What are some of your favorite quote unquote Psycho scenes in the movie? Probably the scene where he confronts the homeless guy yeah that was yeah i remember the first time i watched that i was like i was not expecting it of course and you know he kills the homeless guy obviously and then he kills his dog too and i was like whoa 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 mister that's too far and all before he tells he tells him al you really need to get a job al not with that attitude (laughs) and and he just like says these like these like dumb slogans Mm -hmm. yeah it's like he is like a mimic almost like he doesn't have he doesn't have his own personality it's just a product of everything he's observed and taken in yeah yeah that's interesting yeah do you think he just killed the homeless guy because he's a psychopath or do you think he had motive behind it he kind of like flipped his switch when the homeless guy like touched his suit Mm, yeah because patrick bateman is like completely materialistic yeah like, he views everything as an object. Yeah. Like, including himself. Yeah. So, when something harms, like, what's meant to be a view of him, that's when he, like, really starts freaking out. Yeah. It's, like, kind of goes back to, it's, like, the yuppie and the psycho are conflicting, or, like, they're working together or conflicting with each other. Because, like, he acts like he's a nice guy before the homeless guy touches him. And then the homeless guy touches him. And then it's, like, the Wall Street sort of personality of, like, I'm rich. Don't touch. Like, don't touch me. I'm rich. Or something like that. Like, don't. Because he did that earlier with somebody else in the boardroom with his colleagues where they were trying to. I think it was Lewis, maybe. Where he was trying to touch his suit. And Patrick's, like, don't touch my suit. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or, like, how much he, like, is obsessed with uh, with cards. Yes, the business card scene is so funny, and I didn't realize that until I rewatched this. Because it's kind of, I read somewhere that the business cards on Wall Street are kind of like men peacocking to each other. Like, who has the best business card? And it's, like, you know, a status symbol. And Pat Bateman realizes that Paul Allen has a better card than him. Supposedly, I don't know how you yeah. tell business cards apart. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what's, like, the catalyst for him wanting to kill him? The business card? Yeah. Yeah. 
and the Dorcia and, you know, but the business card's what set it off. Yeah. Yeah. They kept going back to the kind of business card narrative a couple times throughout the movie. And I was like, what's the deal with business cards? Because later Lewis reveals that he gets a new business card. And Pat Maitman's like, all right, that's done. I'm going to kill him. And they go into the bathroom and he, like, is about to strangle him. And Lewis thinks he's hitting on him. And Lewis is secretly gay for Patrick. (laughs) And... Patrick doesn't kill him. He just kind of acts disgusted. But in the book, there's a moment where this guy in the park hits on Patrick and Patrick kills him. Yeah. Which it's probably a good thing they didn't add that in this movie because. Yeah, I I think that does add a bit more ambiguity to like Patrick's goals. I'm not saying that Patrick isn't a piece of shit. Yeah, obviously. But how I kind of pull that back to uh, Gene. Mm hmm. The people that he doesn't kill in this movie are the people that treat him like an actual human being Mm -hmm. and just not either another yuppie or a person that needs to get one up on him. Yeah. What do you think about the other yuppies in the movie? Because I read that arguably they're just as bad as Patrick, by the way. They act. What do you think about that? Well, they pretty much all act the same. Yeah. And they all act and they all look so much alike Mm -hmm. that they literally confuse each other a Mm -hmm. lot. So I think it does imply that that this culture itself does breed a sort of like psychopathy in its people. Yeah, I agree with that. I also, what do you think about, what do you think violence represents in the movie? Well, I think how the ending does sort of apply is that there's a chance all of the killings didn't actually happen. Yeah. That they're all in Patrick Bateman's mind mm-hmm. as a way, as sort of like a power fantasy for him. Well... Do you think the killing? Do you think that was it was a power fantasy, or do you think he actually killed people? Uh, it, it is it is a little ambiguous because because yeah. there's definitely some scenes where there is where it was definitely hallucinations, like when he's like running through the city. Mm-hmm. But there's other ones like the homeless one, which I think he could absolutely get away with. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think the fact that like he does get away with the murders and most of the things like most of the out-of-pocket things he says kind of represents the whole like you said earlier the yuppie persona where they can they're so rich and powerful at such a young age and materialistic that they could pretty much get away with anything hurting anyone with little to no repercussion yeah like did you see that scene where he's like literally dragging like paul allen's body through the lobby yeah and, and there's literally bl- there's literally a blood trail, trail but, of blood but no one points it out yeah throwing it and he f- throws his body in the back of the cab and lewis and another woman's there like oh hey it's patrick bateman you know not questioning anything he does and yeah well what else do you want to talk about american psycho i think the visuals and the certain motifs they use really aid in this movie, mm-hmm. like you constantly see like reflection motifs, mm-hmm. like because of like Patrick Bateman's vainness mm-hmm. and like obsession with himself, mm-hmm. and just how they use like a lot of white to represent like his just like pure like plainness of the realities. And yeah, we'll talk about this very vaguely. But what do you think about how he has to return some videotapes all the time? Because hmm. I think how it's implied, if you think the killings did happen. It's him, like, trying to trying to avoid talking about them. Hmm. But if you go with the interpretation that the killings didn't happen, then the way how he uses certain media, like pornography yeah. or, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you could just view that as him, as, like, his obsession with certain media hmm. reflecting sort of, like, his fantasies. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. 
There is a lot of uh, sex and prostitutes in this movie. Yes. I will say. Just a fair warning if you're not expecting that. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't remember why I was thinking about this. I'm in a creative writing class and somebody wrote a serial killer like story and for some reason i kept thinking about like like patrick bateman american psycho type killer just because that's kind of like his thing before he kills women what do you think women do to his personality well due to how misogynistic the people around him are Mm. he definitely just views them as property or stuff they just obtain yeah definitely like objects because he literally does whatever he wants to them yeah like he will have he will make a his own porno one moment with them and then the next moment he's actually cutting them open or eating their brains out yeah no cap actually happened <laughs> but yeah and i think going back to like the idea of whether the killings were real or not what do you think about the whole chainsaw deal i think that was definitely one of the more ones you interpret as being just illusions yeah because uh, there there's no there's no way he could actually yeah. snipe for someone like a chainsaw. Yeah. He sniped her really good, though. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't know. That precision. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you, uh, but then again, when, when he goes to the apartment after confessing and he sees that, like, everything is gone, mm-hmm. that adds a lot more uh, ambiguity to it all. Yeah. What do you think... What do you think about the woman who tells him to leave? Do you think that was just kind of like a figment of his imagination or... It, when they're in Paul Allen's apartment and everything's gone and this woman is showing the apartment and she, like, questions Patrick. I think that you could also make an argument that's also a figment of his imagination. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, especially since due to all, like, all the whiteness in the room. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But but I will say about that apartment, uh, they, they really overrated that apartment. <laughs> really? Yeah, that, like, they say that Paul Allen's apartment is better than... Patrick Bateman's but I just don't see it. Yeah. And, you know, that just goes back to, like, somebody's better than Patrick. Like, yeah. yeah. And what do you think about um, Patrick's morality by the end of the movie? Uh, I don't think he is a better person at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think that his mind is just... He's just so numb due to just how broken his existence is. Mm Mm-hmm. That he just can't really feel anything anymore. Yeah. He's aware. I think he's definitely aware of everything happening with him now. I mean, he probably was aware before, but now he's, like, very aware, I guess. He's now just aware that he just exists in a sort of purgatory. Yeah. Or no matter what he does, he just won't have any effect on the world. Yeah. It's sort of strange, because... I don't think I thought Patrick changed by the end of the movie, but his whole monologue of Lament, where he was like, this means nothing. I, and then the movie just ends right there. I was like, what? But, yeah. The soundtrack, how it uses pop songs, mm-hmm. I think is really great, especially with the how they're used, mm-hmm. mainly during, like, extremely graphic scenes, mm-hmm. like the sex scenes or murders, mm-hmm. like, really aided. And, like, Patrick's, like, derangedness. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it also kind of comes into its own by the end of the movie. Yeah. Where it just kind of gets more, like, droning. Mm-hmm. And, like, ominous. Mm-hmm. Like, especially when he... That delusion when he's just, like, running around killing people. Yeah. 
I thought the pop music was an interesting choice for this movie, but they it worked well, for yes. sure. Do you think there was anything they could have improved on in this film, or do you have any major complaints or anything like that? Not really. Mm-hmm. Like, I think everything, like, really serves the movie well. Yeah. I don't think I have any major complaints about it. It was, It's not my favorite movie, but I still... Uh, but but if you have, if you do have any like nitpicks or complaints, can you like? I don't think I have any nitpicks or complaints. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I guess it's just very graphic, obviously. But like, the novel's more graphic. I guess I don't know. I guess that would be my only complaint. But at the same time, like, it didn't really didn't take away from my experience a whole lot. So, so. I guess your biggest complaint is you think the movie didn't do enough. Didn't do enough how? The movie didn't do enough in your vision to bump it up more. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, it's just not my kind of movie, really. Yeah, like, that, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I thought it was good. It's just like, yeah, just not my kind of movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, pretty uh, much. You want to know some fun facts about this movie? Absolutely. So, you, you know, you know that shower scene? Mm-hmm. That was the most anticipated scene for all the females on the crew. I, I I think you can understand why. Yeah. I'm surprised Christian Bale didn't use a butt double. That that man is is a method actor to the very end. For real. Do you have any more fun facts that we should know? Uh, also, uh, Christian Bale's American accent was so good on set that Brad Easton Ellis didn't know that he was British. Is Christian Bale actually British? Yes. I didn't know he was British, so good job. Yeah, I thought he was American this whole time, man. Yeah. Culture shock. I'm glad Leonardo DiCaprio... No hate to Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm glad he was not Patrick Bateman in this movie. Yeah, like Christian Bale was like born to play this role. Mm-hmm. Maybe Leonardo DiCaprio could be like a weird Patrick Bateman now, but like, I don't know. Leonardo DiCaprio is just very estranged now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty boy Leo Cadet cannot pull off this role. Yeah. He was very young during that time, too. Well, I guess Christian Bale was young, too. Hold on. Let's see. He's 49, so 23 years ago would have been. He would have been 26. Okay, so like. So literally Patrick Bateman's age. Also, it had a lot of trouble with brand deals. Because they, they tried to be as accurate as possible to the time period. Mm-hmm. But you could probably guess why brands didn't want their products to be featured in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that stopped American Psycho at all. So, yeah. Like Calvin Klein, like, pulled out, like, super early. I understand that. Um, was not expecting the President Reagan cameo during the movie. I heard him talking, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I know this president. Who is it? And for a second, I thought it was Jimmy Carter. Then I thought it was Bill Clinton, but I did not think. I even thought it was George H.W. Bush. I did not think it was Ronald Reagan. Oh, also, uh, Christian Bell wanted full approval from Brad Easton Ellis. So when they first met, he was, like, in full get-up and accent mm-hmm. as Patrick Bateman. Yeah. And that was, like, the single creepiest moment of... Freddy's and Allison's, like, entire life. Method actor to the end. I mean, I don't think I would expect anything less from Christian Bale, honestly. I have a feeling that's what inspired a certain work of Ellis, because 
Because I think in another story that, like, ties back to American Psycho, Brett Easton Ellis himself is in it and, like, gets hunted down by Patrick Bateman, who, like, comes to life or, they're like, in some world. And he's, like, meant to represent, like, the darkest stuff of Ellis. In his book that he makes? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And also, they made a musical out of this movie. You told me about that. What's when did they make this musical? Uh, I think like in the early 2010s. Did they? Was it kind of around the same plot as the movie and book? Yeah. One weird thing I kind of heard about is they had Patrick Bateman's and Jean's relationship kind of a Beauty and the Beast dynamic. Yeah, I heard you told me that. Yeah. And I I found that that was really stupid. Yeah. I don't, even if Gene might have had a thing for Patrick, nah. <laughs> no, 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 Patrick Bateman's funny, but that man does not deserve any form of love. Yeah, don't hurt poor Gene. she's a nice girl. Yeah. yeah, interesting musical. Did it, like, where did it, where did they perform it on? Uh, Broadway. It was a Broadway musical. Yeah, what yeah. was the reception? Uh, it was kind of mixed, but audiences really loved it because the ch- because the tickets were cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't... Yeah. Was it like a fan-made musical that became a real thing? Or... No, no. It was a professional musical. Somebody was like, yes, we're going to make an American Cycle yes. musical. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, even, I even saw it when I took a trip to New York because me and my family were going on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Like, I even saw, like, the SpongeBob musical like playing right next to it. Wow. So you watched both Americans, the American Psycho movie musical? No, no. I, no oh, I, you didn't? No, I didn't see it. Dang. Uh, I did see another musical called Something Rotten. What's what's that one about? Uh, it takes place in the 1600s and it's about uh it's about a failing uh playwright trying to make his break while having to deal with a superstar called William Shakespeare. Ah, uh, yes. I'm in a Shakespeare class right now, and it's about his comedies and romances, and I swear we talk about sex at least once time during every single class period. So, so if that explains anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, Shakespeare is, like, depicted as, like, this, like, superstar. William Shakespeare. That's, yeah. And, I would go see something like that. Oh, and also, I mentioned the SpongeBob musical. Mm-hmm. That musical got a, got nominated for, like, five Tonys. It's impressive what musicals get awarded Tonys because have you heard of the Book of Mormon, the musical? Yeah. It it got a Tony, so. Yeah, but apparently the SpongeBob musical is actually really good. I'd, I'd believe it. It's SpongeBob. Yeah. SpongeBob. Have you seen the Shrek musical? Uh, no. I've seen a local showing of the Shrek musical in my small hometown. And honestly, it's not bad, but I feel like I should watch it on the big stage, if you know. But, yeah. Well, back to American Psycho. Uh, well, here's another fun fact. During takes when they were filming the chainsaw scene, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Bale would happily uh, just stand around with a sock around his <laughs> between takes with a chainsaw on his hand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. Okay. I mean, I don't know what else I would expect during the American... I don't know what else I would expect when you're shooting a movie like American Psycho. Yeah. So... Well, what would you... Oh, wait, also... Oh, continue. Apparently, American Psycho was, like, just meant to be, like, a fictional, like, regular tale about about Wall Street yuppies. Mm-hmm. 
So Bredis and Ellis decided to just go like visit or hang out with normal yuppies. Mm-hmm. I think Christian Bale did too. Yeah. Preparing for the movie. Like there wasn't, like Patrick Bateman wasn't intended to be a serial killer at all. Mm-hmm. It was just meant to be like a character study of a just a very materialistic guy. But as Easton Ellis observed their behaviors, he realized Bateman would 100% be a serial killer. Yeah. I think after the movie came out, Bateman actually went to go, either before or after or something like that, Bateman went to go talk with some actual yuppies around New York. And a lot of them said, like, oh, like, we sympathize with Patrick Bateman or, like, they like Patrick Bateman, like, they relate to Patrick Bateman. And Christian Bale was like, lol, you mean ironically, like, right? And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, uh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. I I, I could just imagine his, like, sheer sense of doom that these guys are controlling the economy. His mouth was probably dropped open, like... (laughs) These these are the people who have control over the world's economy. Yep. Yuppies. Yep. <laughs> we call them yuppies. Just ponder over that for a second. Yep. Well, anything else about American Psycho? No, I think we really covered all the bases. Same. Well, what would you say to someone who's considering watching this movie? Don't go into this movie expecting to see a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Go in expecting to see a sort of genre-bending character study of a very messed up guy Mm -hmm. that happens to be really violent. Yeah. And also, if you're kind of squeamish, be prepared for graphic nature in the movie. Yeah, we're talking about everything. uh, Nudity, drugs, violence. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot. I have to say my favorite line in the movie. When they were in the bathroom at that one club towards the middle, and one of his... Patrick's buddy's talking to him, and the guy in the other stall says, hey, can you quiet down? We're trying to do drugs over here. And then and then the guy tells him, F off. Like, that is that is by far my favorite quote in the whole American Psycho movie. Uh, one, of my, one of my other favorite quotes is, chill with the anti-Semitic remarks. Chill with the anti-Semitic remarks. Gene, don't wear that outfit again. <laughs> yes. Such a great line. Yes, as we gotta as we gotta complain, this movie is really funny. Mm-hmm. It is funny, like the tw- the memes, the internet memes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you haven't seen an American Psycho reference in a meme, you're missing out. I'm telling you. Yeah, there's some funny ones. So uh, let's get to our ratings. Yeah. Well, Ethan, what would you rate this movie? A high ten. A high ten. Why? <laughs> uh, I, I I gave you most of my reasons. Pretty much, yeah. Uh. Subtle, smart social commentary, mm-hmm. fantastic performance, mm-hmm. great music, mm-hmm. great use of cinematography and lighting, and a very ambiguous and up-to-interpretation story. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to have to give it a solid eight, I would say. Don't really have a strong explanation why it just feels kind of like a solid eight to me. It's good. The story's great. The drama's great. Like I said, it's a little graphic for my taste, but that's okay. Like, it's not necessarily my type of movie, but I did enjoy it nonetheless, so. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, I think I think next week, what are we reviewing next week for the podcast? We have, uh, we're going to talk about us, two movies that are about a holiday that isn't spooky, but does involve the supernatural. Your dead relatives, in some way. Yes. Uh, we're talking about Dia de los Muertos. Day of the Dead. Yep. And it's going to be about Coco and the Book of Life. Two very good movies, in my opinion, yes. if you ask me. 
So we're stoked about that. It's going to be very, very long after Dia de los Muertos, I will say. So we are sorry about that. Yeah. But we still wanted to acknowledge the holiday and watch these movies because they're great. Yeah. And the holiday is honestly pretty fun. I like Dia de los Muertos. Like, it reminds me of high school Spanish classes. Yeah. And we also celebrate it here at USI. And they have a Day of the Dead, like, shrine type thing, memorial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. While recording this, there is, like, a there is like a mural in the on the main floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're recording in the dingy basement. Yep. That's where all basements where it's at, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if you don't know anything about Day of the Dead, I highly recommend looking it up because it's honestly a pretty sick holiday, pretty colorful. It's all about remembering your relatives and friends, your loved ones that have passed on. And it's not really like a morning of life, but a celebration of life. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, go look it up. It's largely celebrated in Mexico and maybe a couple other Hispanic countries. But, yeah. Pretty cool holiday, honestly. Pretty exciting. Well, anything else you would like to tell the audience, or are we good to wrap up the episode? Uh, I, I think we're good to wrap up. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to Dim the Lights episode eight now. Um, please like, share, subscribe, tell us, share us with your friends, follow us on Letterboxd. Ethan's Letterboxd account is I'm Just Kind of Okay. My account is Tegan Roll, and we'll see y'all at the movies next time. So, bye, guys. Bye.